you have been uh, following along, and I feel like it's kind of punk rock to be doing a series on sin. I don't, I don't know about you, but like, sin is maybe uh, one of the more foreign concepts to be preaching on in 2023, um, but I think it's, it's pretty helpful because it's so foreign. It's not language we talk about a lot. It's not something that's very much in the air that we breathe, but I feel like we need categories for those things which will wreck our lives and relationships, right? We need to be reminded that sin is deadly, not just sinfully delicious or some of the other wonderful adjectives that we place. We need some language. We need some categories. Uh, but we can't stop there. We don't want to wallow in sin and self-condemnation. We under- need to understand how to get free from these uh, besetting sins. If sin is deadly, we need to be pointed towards life, the abundant life that Jesus offers, and hopefully we can do that this morning. And this morning, get to talk about the topic of wrath or anger. And that is a topic that I have personally battled with quite a bit over the years, and so I have no shortage of stories of dealing with and wrestling with anger. Uh, if you are in that same boat, maybe you can, uh, you'll be helped by this sermon and the material in it as much as I have. Um, the the situation that came to mind immediately as I was thinking about anger and uh, its expressions um, was a particular child in our household, who will not be named, who had a particular fascination with toilets. He liked to flush toilets. He liked to flush toilet paper in toilets. He liked to flush whole rolls of toilet paper in the toilet. He liked to flush crayons in the toilet, pencils in the toilet, toys in the toilet, any variety of things in toilets. So I discovered that toilets are definitely a trigger for my anger (laughs) after having many toilets clogged over the years. One time he flushed a mysterious object down the toilet and I spent forever doing all of, working all of my magic. You know, I had my snake, I had my plunger, you know, and I'm getting more and more frustrated as this process goes on. You can just see the anger building. I'm yelling at the toilet. I'm yelling at Sam. Did I say Sam? I was just going to not. <laughs> I totally blew it now. I'm yelling at everyone around who wants to know that this toilet is clogged and I can't fix it. And it's driving me nuts because I'm not handy and I'm grossed out by toilet. Did I mention that I'm grossed out by toilets? Anyways, I ended up pulling the entire toilet out, throwing it in the backyard. It was about to smash the whole thing. When I flipped it over, and there, I kid you not, staring at me is a Batman action figure. And I swear he was laughing at me, just from <laughs> just so angry. And at that point, I think, you know, I don't know how many hours later this is, I think at that point I was able to laugh a little bit as I slowly, you know, pried the Batman figure out of the bottom of the toilet, but you, know, you get the idea, right? You know, these, these kind of situations in our lives call forth anger, sometimes volcanic anger, sometimes intense versions of anger. We laugh right at it because, right, we recognize that anger is a temporary insanity, right? Sometimes we just literally lose my mind. In that case, I had lost my perspective. I had lost my sense of reason. I had lost my sense of proportion. I had almost lost my salvation at the point. (laughs) 
And, you know, that, that happens, right, when you get angry. But the damage created by these volcanic eruptions can be quite extensive. I found myself picking up the pieces for quite some time as everyone else around the household is trying to deal with the fact that Mike is losing his mind over the toilet. Now, you might not be prone to these dramatic eruptions of anger, but you might be prone to more of that low-grade irritability, uh, short temper, uh, just irritability around the little things in life that just set you off. Or you might carry slow, simmering bitterness in your heart towards people around you that can be every bit as deadly, right? Maybe you don't let it out. Maybe you internalize it. You carry it on the inside. But that bitterness is just slowly simmering in your heart. And man, it is a, it is a nasty, nasty thing. So we're going to look this morning at the anatomy of anger. I want to look at the the problem with anger, and I want to look at the rescue from anger. And my aim for this morning's sermon is to help us channel our anger in constructive and God-glorifying ways. So let's pray as we dive in this morning that God would guide us and would help us as we tackle this subject. Father, we know how toxic of an emotion anger can be, especially if we're not careful and how we deal with it. Would you help us to get a better handle on anger this morning, to understand it, learn how to deal with our anger more honestly and fruitfully. God, would you guide uh, us by the Holy Spirit into truth, God, so that we might be able to kill these sins that are trying to kill us. And so we commit this time uh, to you. I uh, pray that you'd be speaking to us through your Spirit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start with the anatomy of anger. The Bible has a lot to say about anger. Anger is a response to a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. The, uh, the late counselor, David Powelson, said it this way. He said, at its core, anger is very simple. It expresses, I'm against that. It is an active stance you take to oppose something you assess as both important and wrong. You notice something, size it up and say, that matters, and it's not right. You encounter something in your world that crosses the line. Anger expresses the energy of your reaction to something you find offensive and wish to eliminate. Anger usually ignites through a perception of injustice, right? It's natural to get angry at the injustice we see in our world and our lives, right? Our anger flares up when we see something wrong around us, something that's not right. There's something instinctive in our hearts, right, that just reacts negatively to the injustice we see around us. And the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. So we're, we're instructed, right, in the scriptures to be angry and sin not. Certainly easier said than done, I think. Uh, but it's an instruction, right, in scripture, right, anger. We know it's possible because Jesus was angry when the Pharisees were more concerned about scrupulous Sabbath observance than the healing of a man with a withered hand. Jesus was angry. We saw this story back in our Mark series, Mark 3, 5. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and was restored. The Pharisees' hardness of heart and lack of love for their neighbors both grieved and angered him. Jesus wanted this man to be healed, to be made well, to be restored to be whole. And he was angry that people would stand in the way of that. All throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is gracious and compassionate, but nevertheless, his anger is stirred up by injustice, oppression, 
and idolatry. So one of the classic texts in the Old Testament on anger, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, this is the Lord passing before Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithless, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is perhaps the greatest tension in the entire Old Testament. Is God gracious and compassionate? Is he slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Yes, he is. Is God angry at the evil and injustice he sees in his world? And does he punish it, sometimes in ways that are intense? Yes, he does. We too should be angry about the evil and injustice around us. Made in God's image, there is something in us that intuitively reacts to injustice, right? It would be a mark not of love, but apathy if we weren't angry when people we love are hurt. Right? The more you love, the more angry you get. In fact, our anger is deeply tied to our loves. Right? Something you don't love, you don't get angry about. The more angry you get is something you love more deeply and passionately. Uh, Professor Recker, Rebecca DeYoung um, from Calvin in her wonderful book, Glittering Vices, which I have out there on the book table for you to pick up a copy of, says, when anger is good, it expresses our passion for justice and love for others. The deeper the love, the greater the good at stake. The more intense is our capacity for anger. You don't get angry unless you are deeply invested, unless you care. Apathy stands apart as a tepid alternative to both love and anger. At its best, rightly expressed, anger passionately protects and defends a loved good. When was the last time you got angry? at an injustice, right, to a friend or a family member, or maybe a story you saw on the news, right? Anger is a sign that we deeply love, we deeply care. It's a sign that you are a passionate person, that you're alive, right, when someone you love is hurt or injured, right? Not all anger is wrong. And at this point, you may be a little bit surprised, right, that anger could potentially be a good thing because so much of our experience, right, is to the contrary, uh, but so it is in Scripture, right? Anger is uh, the desire, as we've said, for, for justice. It's an expression of deep love. But for most of us, most of the time, instead of promoting God's righteousness and justice, our anger is more about our own selfish ends, leading only to strife, which the Bible warns us so frequently about. And so let's look at just a few of the texts here, maybe that give us some warnings about anger and the danger that it might cause. So in Proverbs, there are many texts. Back in our Proverbs series, we looked through uh, many of these. Let me just give you two texts from Proverbs, biblical warnings from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 29, he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. If you have a hasty temper, you're going to do a lot of stupid things. You're going to say a lot of stupid things. You are going to be a foolish Person or Proverbs twenty nine twenty two a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgressions. If you are an angry person, you're going to sin a lot <laughs> because you're going to say and do things that are going to hurt other people. We don't just have these warnings in the Old Testament. Jesus also warns us in Matthew five twenty two. But I say to you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother. Be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire 
to the hell of fire, right? Intense warnings from Jesus about holding anger in our hearts. And finally, James uh, gives one final warning, James 1, 19 through 20. Know this, beloved brothers, let every one person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All this could be summed up to say a hasty temper is going to get you into all kinds of trouble, make you liable to judgment from God, and won't appropriately address the injustice that made you angry in the first place. It's not going to bring about the righteousness God desires. Thomas Aquinas breaks our problems with anger down into three basic categories, three, three ways that our anger gets us into these different categories that the Bible tells us, right? We get angry too easily. In other words, we're quick-tempered. Um, secondly, we get angrier than we should, right? When our anger is venomous or otherwise disproportionate to the events, and we stay angry for too long, right? Our anger just smolders into bitterness. Let's look at each of these in turn here, because these are the dangers we need to be looking out for in our lives, right? First of all, we get angry too easily. This looks like low-level irritability, critical spirit. Every little thing sets us off. We're quarrelsome, impatient. People around us are kind of walking on eggshells, not wanting to set us off. Rebecca DeYoung warns again, if you are a busy person living without rest or margins, or if you have a foul mouth or tendency to complain, watch out for this form of wrath in your life. Or if you're burning the candle on all ends, don't be surprised, right? if there is this kind of irritability in your life. You might not think of this as wrath or anger, but think how much of our lives can be controlled by that low-grade irritability. You might just say, I'm just having a bad day. Right? In fact, you have an anger problem. You are in the grip of anger. Uh, second, we get angrier than we should. Right? This is more of the volcanic expression of anger that I was talking about earlier when confronted with toilets. Right, shouting, slamming doors, throwing things, in general, overreacting. Right? This is we get way more angry than we should be about something in our life, some small and trivial thing, like a clogged toilet, which is, you know, annoying, but you know, it's not the end of the world. I, I love how Steve Martin captures this. I don't know if any of you guys seen that the classic Father of the Bride movie. Uh, but he said, speaking to his daughter's fiance, I thought this was so great. Annie is a very passionate person, and passionate people tend to overreact at times. And Annie comes from a long line of overreactors. Me, I can definitely lose it. My mother, a nut. My grandfather, stories about him are legendary. The good news, however, is that this overreacting tends to get proportionately less by generation, so your kids might be normal. <laughs> Now, biblically speaking, I don't think that last part is true. Sometimes it actually gets worse as the generations go, but you get the point. You all know overreactors, right? Some of you are married to overreactors. And, you know, it's really cute to watch, like, on a, on a movie, uh, but way more maddening to live with somebody that's constantly losing their minds, constantly overreacting to the littlest things. Finally, last place, we stay angry too long. This one looks like resentment, bitterness, cynicism. It comes out in constant sarcasm and cutting remarks. And again, you might not think, right, you have a problem with anger because you hold it all in. You manage to internalize it, but that resentment and bitterness will poison your life and relationships and make you far more susceptible to 
all the other forms of anger, right? Because you can't hold that anger in side of you. It's going to eventually come out. It's going to bleed out into your lives and relationships. So we've looked at the different expressions of anger and warnings against it. But what is at the root of anger? How can we get to the heart of it so that we can pull it up by the root? This is so important. Think about the last time you were angry, right? What were you angry about? Was it about restoring God's justice and shalom to the world or some selfish imagined offense? Uh, According to the American Psychological Association, the underlying message, highly angry people, is that things ought to go my way. (laughs) That's a great description of anger. Things ought to go my way. When things don't go my way, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to freak out. I'm going to yell at somebody. I'm going to I'm going to start throwing things. People, you know, things ought to go. Anger tempts us to play God, right? You may not do this consciously, uh, but the thought with anger is more of my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as is in heaven, and watch out if you get in my way and cross the purposes of my kingdom. Psychologists are just catching up with the Bible and recognizing anger as a a surface emotion, right? It's one of those things that, that immediately we react, but but it covers so many of the different things that are going on inside of our hearts, which means we need to look under the surface of what's driving our anger, right? Anger expresses itself in so many different ways and for so many different reasons. Again, Professor DeYoung is so helpful. She, she mentions a few of these. See if any of these hit home for you. Maybe your anger is flaring up because somebody you know, got in the way of my agenda, right? Thwarted by your foolishness, thoughtlessness, or alternative plans, I'm angry, right? Maybe my control, right? Undermined, you're undermined by your interference or God's. And I'm angry that you have gotten in the way of my need to control the world. Maybe you went after my dignity, right? I'm cut by your offensive comment, your neglect or offensive tone, and therefore you're going to hear about it. Uh, maybe you've gone after my cherished reputation, which has been besmirched by your slander or truthful expose, and, and now I'm really, really angry. Or, or maybe try this one on my high expectations, right? I'm disappointed by your mistakes, my own failures, or the inconvenient realities of life, and therefore I am angry at everyone around me. I don't know about you, but as I was going through these, I was like, man, I think she's reading my mail here. Like, these are some of the things that really set me off, right? I was like, checking, checking, checking that one there, too. And, and boy, as you understand some of these things that really are underneath our anger, right, we can begin to address them. We can begin to pull them up by the roots. But these motivations, they're more varied than we might initially think and more deeply rooted than we might initially expect. Uh, Professor Dion concludes, and this was one last uh, zinger for you guys here. If you have high standards and ideals, work as a leader with great responsibilities, or devote great efforts to planning, wrathful anger may be a persistent temptation to you. And I was like, oh gosh, this is really getting painful here uh, to be preaching through. So how do we get rescued, right, from the grip of anger has on our hearts so that we're able to channel it constructively in our lives, relationships, and towards the broader structure, broader struggle for justice in the world that we live in? How do we get rescued, right? Because we can all identify probably with some way, shape, or form anger impacts us or someone we 
deeply love. I want to suggest first that we need something far more stable than our own feelings of outrage and injustice as our moral compass, right? We live in an outrage culture. We live in a cancel culture where people love to rage about the things that are driving them nuts, but we need to submit ourselves as God's people to God's justice, right? We need to be slow to anger like our Father in heaven. He's not trigger happy like the Greek God sitting in heaven ready to throw lightning bolts down at us right when we get out of line. Right? He's, he's slow to anger. He sees the bigger picture. He is able to weigh the heart. He evaluates all the outcomes so we can trust the judge of all the earth to do what is right. We can look to him for wisdom in seeking true justice. But we also need something every bit as powerful as our feelings of outrage and injustice. Right? Those feelings empower us Right? They, they energize us. They go seek uh, the good. But we need to be also gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We need a greater power, a greater energy than the anger can bring. Uh, we need to be more deeply and profoundly moved by the love of God in Christ. The, the greatest tension in the Old Testament was the question, which of these is going to win out? Right? Is, is God's justice or God? God's anger or God's love going to win out. And it's not until Jesus steps on the scene that we see these two characteristics reconciled, right? Jesus was angry at the religious establishment for caring more about their religious rules than the people they were entrusted in caring for, angry enough to turn over tables in the temple and cast out the money changers. But he was also so tender and gracious and compassionate with the people he ministered to and loved. It's, it's part of what makes Jesus who he is, this remarkable mixture right, of, of ang- passion and anger for the purposes of God, but also steadfast love. It's not until we get to the cross, though, that we finally see how these two uh, realities are ultimately reconciled. Right? God's anger against all the ways our sin has ravaged God's world that he loves right, can't be ignored. Right? And God loves us too much to allow all the ways we've been sinned against to go unpunished. But instead of punishing us, God sent Jesus to take that punishment on himself to endure the wrath of God in our place, right? As the great hymn says, right, you know, till on that cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in his death, I stand, right? And because he experienced the wrath of God, we get to experience his love. Indeed, nothing in all creation can separate us now from God's love. It's this love that melts our proud and self-sufficient and angry hearts that are out playing God, the, the love that would not count any of our, our trespasses, any of our foolishness against us, begins to break down the pride that we experience and, and that puts us on this soapbox when we're angry. It's this love that softens our hearts to fellow sinners and makes us a little more gentle, right? If we all recognize that at the foot of the cross, we're all sinners, we're all broken, we all need Jesus, that means we're going to have to be a little more gentle with each other, right? We're not able to just throw fireballs of wrath at each other, right? We're going to become gentle people like Jesus. And it's his commitment to justice that sparks this wonderful blend of just mercy, compassionate justice, right? Uh, Compassion will mark even our commitment to justice, right? Mercy is going to mark the way we pursue justice in the world. 
So what would it look like to channel our anger this week to constructive and God-glorifying purposes practically? First, I think the most important takeaway is that we need to be slow to anger, right? If anger produces uh, that temporary insanity in us, we lose our minds, right? The most important thing we do is not act impulsively on it. We need to be slow to anger. We are perhaps familiar with putting our kids in timeout. You know, sometimes we need to be in timeout. Sometimes we adults need to take a step back from the edge right, and reflect on what our anger is trying to say to us. We need to allow time to cool down and make sure it's God's justice we're seeking not our own. We said that anger is a surface emotion. We need to maybe spend some time getting beneath the surface and wondering, what's going on? Why am I so angry? Is it because my agenda got crossed, that I'm feeling out of control, uh, that my dignity has been questioned, right? That my cherished reputation has been besmirched, that my high expectations have not been lived up to by all the people that I'm in a relationship with, and therefore I'm losing my mind, right? We need to do a little work below the surface. And sometimes after reflecting on a perceived injustice, we can simply overlook it. Proverbs 19.11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. What a wonderful thing. You can, you can be angry at an injustice, and at the end of the day, you could say, you know, it really doesn't matter that much. I can overlook it. You know, it doesn't need to be dealt with. And that's a beautiful thing. There's probably a lot of grievances that we could just deal with in that way and just say, you know, I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going to overlook this offense. Sometimes, maybe after reflecting on a situation, we need to address it and personally and seek um, reconciliation. You know, Matthew 18.15 says, right, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him uh, his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Right? There's this beautiful personal sense of someone's hurt me, someone's injured me, um, there's injustice happening, we need to do this. This may take, require taking responsibility and making restitution from the offending party, but that justice must always be paired with a willingness to extend God's generous grace and forgiveness. Right? And there should definitely be a huge celebration if reconciliation is able to happen because it's so rare and it's so beautiful in that cancel culture in which we live, right? To be able to actually bring an apology and actually receive forgiveness and actually uh, be able to hug each other. Our kids recently have been trying out this whole process when they get into a fight, which is fairly frequently. <laughs> We're like, all right, guys, you got to apologize to each other. You got to forgive each other. Then you got to give each other a hug. And oh, man, they. They're, they could say the words, but man, the hug part, they're just like going to punch each other, <laughs> get them in the gut or something. But it's like, you know, the beauty of reconciliation, right? Such a beautiful thing, just how it, how it just dissolves anger and brings about this beautiful state of a renewed relationship. Uh, reconciliation is such a beautiful part of what the gospel is all about. And then finally, uh, sometimes, right, after proper reflection, seeking counsel from others. We may need to address it publicly with a clear call for justice. This is what the prophets of Israel did. They looked at the societal sin. They called for repentance, right? They called for the people of God to own their wrongdoing. Um, and sometimes we need to address the evils in society, but not after until taking a long, hard look at our own hearts, after we've taken that log out of our own eyes before we go after the splinter in each other's. And even here, of course, our justice must be tempered with mercy, and ultimately, we need to submit our claims to justice, to God's sovereign timing, and resist all urges to vigilante justice, to just go off on a rampage uh, because of our anger. Anger is a powerful thing. Uh, I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of others. Some of us have 
terrible associations with angry parents or angry people in our lives that have hurt us and done great damage. Right? Anger can be a powerful force for good and justice in the world, but it can also be, it's like, it's like fire. Right? I mean, it can harness its power, it can, can warm your house, or it can burn it down. Right? That, is, that is the reality of anger as we confront it. And we want to be a church, man, that is actually committed to justice, that taking the anger that we see towards injustice in the world and challenge it, channeling it in ways that are appropriate, uh, but doing so in ways that are also gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Clearly, uh, only Jesus can help us bring those two powerful realities, God's justice and God's love, together in our lives and uh, in our church and the community in which we live. So let's pray that he might do that even uh, this morning. So Father, we thank you uh, so much for uh, the wisdom we have in scriptures here as they teach us how to manage this very human emotion of anger, uh, the ways that we just get set off by the wrongs and injustice in the world. God, would you help us uh, this morning to get some time, get a few moments here uh, with Jesus to reflect on Uh, this table that we're celebrating uh, together where your perfect love and your perfect justice meet uh, once and for all. God, would the reality of your love soften us? Would it uh, make us tender? Would it make us gentle uh, people, God? And would it give us still a passion for justice, God, that is tempered by mercy and love and your graciousness, God? Uh, So would you work that more and more in the life of our church? Would you Uh, Help angry people in this room, uh, set them free uh, from all of the anger that binds people that are struggling this morning with resentment and bitterness, uh, people that just can't get a handle on their anger, it just flares up, or people that just struggle with being sarcastic and cynical and uh, all the little little frustrating ways in which uh, anger can set us off. God, we pray for uh, freedom, deliverance, help, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.